to free beers and a movie. Nice. Hello and welcome to episode 195 of Three Beers and a Movie. I'm Richard Laird and with Barry Neal. Barry, we're once again doing this by Zoom, despite the fact we spent about nine hours with each other yesterday. For some reason, we forgot to record the <laughs> podcast. Uh, so we're now doing this by Zoom again. Uh, that was not smart, obviously. <sighs> That's planning. just beautiful. Yeah, forward planning is not us. And we, had, we had every intention of doing it yesterday as well, didn't we? We got, we got oh, caught up I, in all things. I brought down my iPad and everything already for my notes and everything. So. Uh, just um, uh, time, <laughs> and, time and everything got away from us yesterday. We ended up just kind of forgetting to do it. And we're too busy eating, I think. Too busy eating and drinking, I think, was a part of the problem, to be honest. Uh, and just right. enjoying our company. The first time we've actually met each other in real life in about well over a year. Aye, it was, it was quite it was rather strange. So it's odd to be talking to you today because we kind of felt like we talked about everything yesterday. So we've got to kind of almost... Our conversation today a little bit. <laughs> um, Orna, are you drinking anything today? No, no, I'm just having a nice wee relaxing day. I can't need to watch uh, because I go back to work tomorrow. I need to stay up quite late tonight to get back into night shift mode. So, yes, yeah. yeah, just taking it easy day, some juice, and that's about it. Yeah, I'm much the same. About yourself? Um, I'm much the same. I think I had a wee bit too many yesterday, so I'm sort of just um, leaving a lot of it behind. Um, yeah, so I'm just, just on some. Some water today. Um, so we'll go on to the movie stuff. You told, I've, I've got no movie news. I, I don't, oh. I've really fallen away from subscribing to the gossipy parts of news anymore. Like, like I'm not. Yes. So there's not a lot that yeah. interests me. Like, you know, we could talk about, you know, films moving their release date and stuff like that. That's kind of boring. Everybody knows that's happening. It's kind of, it's not very much mm. interest to me. Um, so what have you got? Oh, one thing I would say that there's a cinema, a very famous cinema in America shut down. You think it's the Arclight? That's a, a big, very famous cinema in Hollywood. The, the company that owned them oh. all, all shut down. So that's quite sad that that's maybe one of the first chains, you know, to, to fall mm. away after this whole COVID. Hopefully, it's not a, you know, it's not the harbinger of all the cinema chains having real trouble. But um, I guess we'll find out. Mm. Um, so what's uh, your I, news? What's your news? I've got two pieces today. They're predominantly more conversation starters more than anything, mm-hmm. uh, but it's they're interesting enough to actually warrant being on here. And a bit like yourself, I'm kind of diving quite deep. I've found to get away from all the gossipy rubbish or like movie tri- like trivial news and actually mm-hmm. get into some decent meat. So the first one is our beloved Kevin Smith. Did you see this story? No, I'm, I'm, um, this is odd for a Kevin Smith story to get past me. I know, I know. Although I'm, I'm uh, three behind on a couple of podcasts, maybe that's why. Ah, uh, okay, fair play, fair play. Uh, Kevin, filmmaker Kevin Smith is to release his next movie, Kilroy Was Here, as an NFT, which is a non-fundable token, which is like a new online currency thing. It's a thing that the... Um, the guy, the Twitter guy who sent the first tweet sold his NFT for something like 10 million or something. Is that the same thing? Yes. Yeah. It's it's off this, yeah, it's the exact same kind of thing. It's whoever, it's what it is in regards to Kevin Smith's side of things is it's going to a charity auction and whoever obviously pays the most, they'll own the whole movie and they'll be able and they'll own the rights to it, which is the whole part of the NFT side of it. If you get the NFT, you're the you are the bearer of whatever that content is because you've got the token. Uh, and then it's can up I, to the can person. I, can I, can I, really, can I, really, because I'm not interested. You seem you're more interested than I am. 
yeah. what's, the, what's the difference in like this sort of traditionally what would happen is a studio would buy the rights to a film and they would have all the rights to that film. How is mm. selling it as an NFT different from just like him selling it to Lionsgate, for example? What's the difference? What's the, is there a difference? I think it's just, once again, uh, NFTs seem to be coming up quite strong in the kind of more art side of the community. Like it all seems to be based around people selling like either music or bits of artwork or like, things like that so this is where that seems to be placed but I think to be honest in terms of Kevin Smith it sounds to me like he's really just kind of giving back to the community again but also kind of like just like skipping the middleman and not involving Lionsgate or whoever 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 I get get that part I get that he's doing it he's done it before when he bought when he sold his film um, I think it was uh, Telluride or even Sundance, he sold like Tusk and he sold a few things like that. He's done it sort of like charity auction and things like that, and he's something set up for that. So, what, all I'm, what I'm really trying to query is like, what is the difference between Kevin Smith mm. selling a film as an NFT and Kevin mm. Smith selling a film as, right? I've seen a contract saying that Richard Laird now owns this film and it's a signed contract and he gives me a bit of paper that says, you now own, you know, Kilroy was here. What's the difference? Mm. What's, the, what's the value in having it as an NFT? There's a bit of paper that's a, a lot of written up. What, is, is there any difference really in reality, or is it just sort of this? Is it this new whole cryptocurrency thing that people are really getting into, but no one really understands properly? Uh, essentially, I. That, <laughs> essentially, that's what it is. It's like because it, what it says here is when the person, whoever ends up ultimately winning it. They've got, they now have the rights to showcase, distribute, and stream the movie. So what you could end up finding is one of the big companies ends up coming in and absolutely oh. fucking annihilating everyone out the water by dropping hundreds of money on it to get it on their platform. Right, so but what, it's basically what it is. Like, in the simplest way, they're selling as this online NFT. But in theory, what mm. could do, or anyone could do, they could write it on a, like, they could write it on a wee tiny, but one of those people who writes on a bit of rice, you now own mm. Kilroy was here, and if you own that thing, mm. then you own the film. Yeah, in theory, it's basically just like I have a rock. If you have this rock, you own my film. It's basically that, isn't it? Yeah. So there's really no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more like it's more like a gimmick than anything else, correct? Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. Essentially, that's what it is. It's it's an interesting way to do things when it comes to like maybe like small releases of things, yeah. but. I don't really know a lot about NFTs to see how, like, how can you stop people? Just for example, like, uh, the Kings of Leon released the last album as an NFT, uh-huh. but, like, only made so many of them as NFTs, and it came with, like, a whole bunch of additional, like, stuff within the, the package, not just the album. Um, uh-huh. See, if you own it, it's not like one of the things, if you own it, you can't then release it and you just have this sort of like wee bit of paper that tells you own it. It's just, well, it's I think like most people, I think most people want to try and keep them and try and make them like rarer than maybe what they could be. Like right. try and almost deliberately hold on to them and be all like, I'm going to sit on this and then ultimately like sell it years down the line. Yeah. But that, and make a profit or something, you'll point. You know? But then at that point, the NFT or like no, the, the NFT itself isn't valuable. It's what the NFT represents. So if that NFT represents a film yes. from Kevin Smith called Kilroy was here that becomes a yeah. smash hit, 
then if you own the rights yeah. to that film, then obviously that's great because it'd, like, it'd be like only rights to say Star Wars. If you own the rights to Star Wars, you make a lot of money off it. If you own the rights to some like, mm. you know, film that does absolutely to essentially like, like put it in Kenneth Smith sense, if you own the rights to yoga hosers, mm. you're not making a lot mm. of money off that because it didn't do particularly well. No. The value that the value isn't the fact it's in an NFT, the, the value of the film comes from how well the film does, really. So the, the NFT is almost it's, it's, how it's how it's sold is a mute point. It's the actual the film itself, the sort of the valuable part of it, like what how like how you promote that and things like that. But the actual currency in which you use to hold that is of minimal value. Correct? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Right, I don't well, understand it. I don't really understand the... NFTs, I don't think that's that's a problem. It's a, exactly. And I don't know enough about them. Like the only thing outside of Kevin Smith now, uh, I know Kings of Leon done it with the last album, but outside yeah. of that, I don't really know too many people. Like there's a couple of YouTubers using them and deliberately making like one of a kind, like 30 second videos or whatever, but then selling it for a truckload of money. But yeah. like you said, you're banking on either this person still being real. If it comes to YouTubers, you're still banking on this person being relevant yeah. in any, in say like the next five, ten years. Yeah to make any sort of real profit on this, you know? It sounds like something, it sounds like a, it sounds like something a child would make up, like a currency a child would make up. In fact, I mean, all money is that anyway, but mm. this is even more so, that a kid has made up this currency, and but they've managed to convince enough people that it matters. And because of that, the world will now begin to think, like, like the whole Bitcoin mm. thing, someone's made that up, and then convinced the whole world this, world, this thing matters. Yeah. It's like, but it doesn't matter because it's not relevant. It, it, like we had a form of currency, we had currency already. You're, this is not. This is not yeah. new. My duty trying to give it a, a relatively cool name, and then make people desire it. Mm. But it doesn't actually have any more value than say a bit of paper that says you have a billion dollars. It has as much value of, as that. If we all, if we all accept that that paper is worth a billion dollars, then mm. it's the same as you're saying my Bitcoin is worth a billion dollars. It's sort of. It, it's, Currency itself is completely insane, but the, the Bitcoin thing in this NFT, and you see it again, like someone's made it up and thought this will be this will be a few people go for this, and somehow people went for it in a weird way. Um, but we are Kevin mm. Smith fans. We, I'm more happy that that Kilroy was here will be out. I'm looking forward to see that being seen. I don't think he's fully directing. I think he's sort of one of the co-directors of that film. I'm sure it's like sort of three or four different directors. The one of those, it's uh, an anthology film, um, but like the Twilight Zone. He was involved. I think like, um, like the producer of it though. Um, I think it's a lot, a lot of um, like Florida college students and stuff that are involved in it. So he's sort of just like being you know, sort of shepherding it through the market and stuff like that. So it might be something like that. Uh, around his actual film. Because I'm sure his next film we thought would be movie clerk. Okay. Um, but yeah, we, we we love Kevin. We'll support Kevin. Yeah. Most things he does, you know. Um, and always, well, I just hope it does well for him. I'll I'll be interested to find out if this movie actually gets distributed or if the person will just hold on to it and never see the light of day if, that's what I'm curious about if you do that and you hold on to it what value has that got really I mean I know people, people like not, not enough people want to see a Kevin Smith film to make that valuable if you bought the new yeah, it, like, exactly. if you bought a new Nolan film and only you had the rights to that then that's the whole fucking world wants to see the next Nolan film I don't think mm. the same level of like rabid intensity for people to watch no. like, the the, the new Kevin Smith. It's, it's like us doing a podcast. They're doing a podcast for our owners an NFT. You know, people go, mm. you go. Well, it's only value people like the people who want to listen to it. Anyone else is going to go. I don't care. You know, so it's it has to. It's yeah, the yeah. Kind of that has a value, not the not the actual currency itself. Intriguing story. So I've not heard that story mm. yet. And I've like said, most Kevin Smith stuff does 
pass through my ears at some point. So I'll have, maybe I'm going to tell you behind the head podcast world just now. Um, I, I'll definitely. So what's your second story you've got of interest? It's a, it, it popped up. It popped up in my phone about Kevin Smith, so I thought it was worth talking about. Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, the second story is James, the latest James Bond movie premiere is set to cost a staggering £10 million, which is, I found quite funny because it wasn't too long ago that they were literally trying to farm out the latest movie yeah. to any streaming service that would touch it. Now, all of a sudden, they, they seem to have backpedaled and now they've flung even more money at it. And they're talking about holding uh, a Premier League. They're, they're trying at least to get it into like a stadium and make a big song mm. and dance about it and then kind of come down from there. That They're aiming for Wembley and they're coming down from there, you know? I mean, to be honest, like, you know, big Premiers aren't, aren't new. You know, it's like they, mm. you know, a lot of films of Premiers that they do cost in the millions, you know, when they launched the first, you know, maybe in the Lord of the Rings or the Harry Potters and stuff like that. And it's not new. And what the interesting part is the story you're the part of the story you're saying is like you know it was literally about eight months ago they were trying to clog this film to like Apple you know for like four hundred million or half a billion or something like that trying to get mm. money you know so obviously now they, they obviously now um, Paramount seem like in the position now where they think that the world is going to open up enough that mm. the film is not only not that we get released but it's going to make enough money on its release that they feel confident about it you know that they're going to throw even because it's essentially when you're saying when that film is sitting in the shelf. It's losing money. It's like, how can it lose money if it's not been released? It's because the investment in that film is losing them interest and things like that. So they, they're looking at that film going, like, it cost 500 million to make, so we've lost 500 million right now, and we're losing each month, we're getting less and less interest on our bank balance because this mm. film is not out yet. We get that film out, and then it may start recuperating some of that lost earnings. Um, the fact that we're throwing out 10 million at it to try and promote it, I mean, 10 million for a premiere is sort of, you know, it so shows they do have some confidence in it and, and they have mm. a, a desire to make a big song dance. But I'm happy because it means it will go to cinema. And I think we're all hopeful that in May, um, cinemas are going to start um, reopening. So it would be nice. I think that might be one of the summer releases, but it'd be good if it was, you know, stuff coming back out. And if, if, if some company, you know, because we won't talk about it in great deal, but a lot of companies have like, a lot of have shifted their release dates. You know, there's a few, you know, um, the Mission Impossible and things like that, they've all bumped the release dates again, you know, because they're obviously not 100% mm. confident on what's coming out. So maybe, I don't know if what we need to do is have a massive release to try and get everything out, something big out, people go back, like we did try to do a tenant and didn't really work. Or just sort of start, just, you know, filtering a few films out there, get people's atten- attention that things are back open again. And then after like three or four weeks, maybe a month, then start hitting with a big, you know, sort of bigger hitters. So, exactly, exactly. Because you're now setting up again to be releasing films. So, again, um, he is hoping and he's fingers crossed that stuff does get released in the next, you know, couple of months. Yeah, uh, totally, totally. Uh, yeah. But so, yeah, that's pretty much my two bits of news today. Interesting movie news, intriguing movie news. You always find some interesting stuff. Um, so we're going to we're going to, <laughs> we're going to movies watch this weekend as. as has been the last you know year over well, a year now. We're now we're now still watching stuff on the, the streaming services. The first one we're going to watch is a film called Sherpa, which was out in 2015, 2016, I think it was. Um, but it's just kind of hit Netflix in the past like sort of week or so. So I thought it was worth delving into, uh, mainly because you sort of recommended you were you you'd heard good things about it. Um, so we can have the yes. end this week. So it's directed by Jennifer Peedham, which is a funny name, um, who directed Medical on Everest and a film called Mountain. So she's very much invested in that whole you know, mountaineering, outdooring, 
stuff. Um, the plot of this film was, it's about the Sherpas, it's the people who assist people in going up Everest, you know, the, the guys who are carrying the backpacks, who are, you know, who are setting the, the climbing ropes and who are basically ensuring that a lot of very privileged white people get to the top of Everest and, and get their Instagram selfie picture before they go back to, you know, being dentists um, in, in Ohio. So it's, these people, these are the guys who are like, they're paid very little and it's basically all about their lifestyle, how they sort of, how, why they've done it, like who does it, and indeed what their sort of future is as the world now that's not only changing because of, um, not just because of COVID, but because of um, climate change. Uh, safety issues and stuff with, mm. with the Everest and um, in, our, in our parts that are attached to it. So I'll start this one because I, I mean I, I know you're very much into the hill climbing thing um, and the mountains. But I'm I'm not as much of an outdoorsman as yourself, so my knowledge of this is quite um, brief. First thing about it, say I did not know Sherpas was like that sort of religion. Mm, yeah, you did that to be honest. I thought, was a, I thought it was an occupation, but not they're, they're actually they're a religious subset. It's, it's kind of a subset of Buddhism mm. almost, isn't it? If you or Hindu, yeah, yeah, Buddhism. Um, so it is uh, a, it's like a can mix. Uh, it's like a recognised like sort of religion. So I, I didn't know that. Again, I thought Sherpa was a job, you know, but like calling you, you know, trucker and saying it's, you know, that's your religion, which I know for you it is, but it's your occupation. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So that's, I found, remember, I found it very generally interesting about culture that has, that to me had been reduced to sort of just one thing. When you say Sherpa, I'm thinking of the guy with the, the bags on his back, climbing up behind the white mm. guy, and that's his role. He's just there to sort of assist him and make, you know, glory. Um, so I, I learned that. Um, I thought it was really interesting that the idea of these people weren't mountain climbers in their history. No. This is this is this has only happened the last like sixty years since people started climbing Everest. That the only reason they're, they're now mountain climbers is because they live in Nepal, so therefore they're predetermined to have sort of a lower blood chemistry, which allows them to exist at high altitudes. But it's not like this yep. is some this is something they've done for like a thousand years, and they're all like sort of this is just this is very very recent. You know, it's like the guys who are climbing now are like sort of like some of them, like. At the, at the oldest of the sons of the guys who first did it, and maybe the grandsons of the guys who first did it, so it's not in any way like sort of like some noble pursuits. So that was again didn't know that really interesting to me as well. And it's really interesting how it explored. Like it did really focus on like just about how these guys climb mountains and look how glorious and look amazing and look, and look at the glory they have. They treat it as a workplace, you know, which is what mm. it is essentially. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the film. The big I- the film are all about union and union strife. You know the idea, like they want paid the comp- the correct amount for the the stress and the the danger money that they go through in order to do this job. And it's yeah. really a sort of balancing act, though, between like sort of basically, I think it's exploitation. Like I think the white people are exploiting the fuck out of these people. And I was a hundred percent on the side mm. of the guy, the Shepherd Boys, who were sort of just fighting tooth and nail for anything off them. Like, about you see him slapping mm. a Frenchman, I'm like going, fucking hit that Frenchman harder. Like, seriously? Yeah. You know, it, 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 uh, exactly. So, exactly. But, it's like, what people forget is, and this is what I kind of hate now about the way Everest is now set up, which you've probably seen a tiny snippet of it, and more so after this was made, at least in recent years, You've seen it become this like conga line of oh, people getting to the top. I yeah. But so people forget very quickly that you're stepping into their world. They're uh-huh. not stepping into your world. So you have to respect these people. And especially because as we learn through this movie, that 
these people are doing the bulk of the fucking job. It's like anyone, yeah, anyone that turns up is literally just got a they're pretty much their survival kit on the on their back and then plodding up. These guys and girls are fucking traipsing everything up, oxygen tanks to the different camps all the way up. Um, and then, you know, two or three times a day or whatever's required, yeah. all, the, all the while all the folk are sitting in camp fucking mm. having lunch and everything else. So but I was very much in... I've got the people who are there as, um, like, climbers are there mm. as... Sort of, they're almost on a holiday. You know, they, they want, like, sort of comfortable tents and they want... Which kind of pisses me off. It, when they were talking about the... about how... As time has went on, people have expected more comforts, and I was like, "No, that shouldn't be what it's about. Right. It shouldn't be. I'm, I'm, I'm climbing Everest, but I'm doing it the most comfortable as way possible. Pretty much, they're a ball head away from fucking strapping a massive uh, cord to the top of it and just having you on a gondola going up it. Right. That's pretty much the like a ball head away from that. I'm like, right. get all these big fancy tents and all that. They fuck." And get people back roughing it the way the way it should be. If you want to climb Mount Everest, fucking right. climb Mount Everest. And probably you know? part of the problem is that the, like Nepal has sort of basically it's a one major asset is is, is yeah. Everest. So yeah, they've tried to they, 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 they don't want just a couple of hardened hardened like sort of climbers who like climb every peak in the world doing it every sort of mm. um you know once a year and stuff like that. They want guys who are going to pay big money to do it who maybe shouldn't be doing it. Mm. You know, just so they can say they've yeah. done it. Um, yeah. I do this. I do this question. I know I can go back to the, the, the start, a line of Star Trek. It's like why climb a mountain because it's there. But the more I watch it, I'm going, mm. I'm fucking climbing this thing. Like nothing but bad things happen <laughs> in this thing. So what's what is a genuine? You're not the first person to do it. You know. No. It, you're not even the first. It's almost. There's no reason for you. There's no. It, there's no reason for you to do it. I just fucking leave it alone because all you're really putting other people in severe danger. Um. Exactly. That's, that's, exactly. It has became like a personal goal for, aye, it's a for people that do it. Yeah. Aye. So um, the documentary itself, though, I thought it was done a really good job of like sort of exploring what the Sherpa is. Yes. How they yeah. how they deal with this job. And I thought it showed the climbers and it didn't make the climbers out the bad people. It kind of let them speak for themselves, which in its way made them sound like bad people, you know, which yeah, the, clever, the, you know. We we spoke off Mike a few days ago about this, uh, just when we had both watched it. And I essentially there's a couple of people within this documentary that do dig their own graves without Aye. needing any help. Yes. Um, and they showed a distinct lack of respect for these people yes. and also how frustrated and agitated they are about the fact that the Sherpas and well the, the first time they get knocked back, it was like weather related, which can't be helped. But then this is uh, the Sherpas are now protesting because they, um, unfortunately a, a group of Sherpas have passed away. Right. So they are saying it's extremely disrespectful just within their religion. But in my opinion, just in general, they go traips and all over where they have just passed away. Like they're still like a few of them have like either still left been left under the ice or I think they got them out I can't remember but yeah. anyway where they have passed away they see it as being disrespectful and you can see the the climbers frustrations and the fact that this is happening and you're like once again 
this is these people's culture and oh. life. Like, you don't live here. You're yeah. just merely fucking a traveler coming in. So you have to respect people's way of life. It's and that's why I think a lot of them... It's a line of you. The language you use very much feels like it's something from like sort of the 1950s and 60s of like they yes. don't see the Sherpas as on an equal footing as them. They see them as subservient to them in every way. Mm. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. Very quickly. and even when it, even there's an accident on the, the, the mountain and the language is there was one climber killed and four Sherpas killed. It's like, no, there's five people killed. It's not there is no yeah. Divination between these, you know, by, by doing that, it makes it very clear that they see these people as almost lesser because, you know, they're carrying bags for them essentially. Um, so mm. obviously, like I said, I'm not a huge outdoorsy person and sort of like um, mountain climbing, but I mean, I was sort of, we've watched a few of these because you've always like recommended we've watched a few about these. And sometimes it just becomes basically um, like photography porn essentially, you know, just sort of just look, look at that, look, look how pretty this is. This. Like obviously it has the stunning shots of Everest and also trying to take a bad picture on Everest does seem pretty much impossible as well. But it doesn't mm. really, that's not the point of the film. It's very much about these people and about the Sherpas and about what they do, who they are and just how they're trying to exist in this new world and and get their own. If, people, if the Western world can continue to try and exploit this mountain and exploit their culture, mm. they should get the proper pay. Because the, the guys are charging like 100,000 per person and they're picking up like mm. two grand. And they're doing all the work. It's like it's Aye. absolutely. You, you do start to feel for for them, and it's a really interesting sort of delve into their a society and, and sort of a culture that I had no idea of. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's it's an interesting look, like you said. You know, all the shots are there, but I like the fact how, like you said, it focuses a lot on the actual shepherds. It oh. doesn't kind of try. It doesn't try and shy away from the the main issue of the whole documentary, and that's what I really dug about it, because it could have easily just, like, uh, washed this over and just completely played it down. Like, it, it wasn't... Done, it, it could just play the narrative that we all know that these guys have climbed mountains for generations, and they're the guys who are going to do it forever, and they love to do it, and they, they love to help mm. the climber. And you get a sense of, they don't love the climbers. They, they, they see them as a job, and that is a job for them. Mm. And, it's, and it's a really dangerous ah. job. Um, and, and that's what it that's that's what it kind of brought home for me watching it. So I really enjoyed it. I'd give it seven out of ten for yourself. Nice, nice. I give it eight out of ten. You know, you like that a bit more than me because you like the you like the mountain climbing yeah. Um so that's I, on net. I like the I like I like the mountain pop. <laughs> yeah, like mountain pop. Um but it's definitely worth a wee watch. And it's only about 90 minutes long as well, so it's well worth a wee a wee gander. Um yeah. Also on Netflix, we're going to talk about a horror film that was out on Netflix just now, doing big business on Netflix. You have to believe Netflix's numbers. That's a film called Run. Mm. Um, the plot of it is directed by Anirish Chiganti, who did a really interesting film a few years ago called Searching, which is one about the guy trying to find his daughter, and he's basically using a computer, using like Facebook and YouTube and stuff to try and find it. It's all done basically from the computer point of view. You'd like it. It's a really good okay. It sounds like a terrible idea. But it's pulled off, you know, and I really liked it. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Um, she done that film. Mm. So what this one is, there's a young girl living at home. She's got um, disabilities. She's in a wheelchair, um, heart problems, asthma problems, everything seems to go up with her. Um, but she's a very caring mother who's looking after her and to help her try and get into college. And they're living a, a tough but well-ordered life. Um, but the daughter starts to see things and suspects that all is not as it seems. And she starts to suspect that perhaps her mother's 
not looking out for her best interests. And it's her trying to explore this. Obviously, the, the wrinkle is she's in a wheelchair, so her trying to you know, do things is, is a bit more difficult than it would be for an able-bodied person to try and get about and you know, mm-hmm. be sneaky around things. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting, yeah. it's, it's, the first, it's the first film since the 1940s where the lead actress is actually a disabled actress in a wheelchair. It's not like someone pretending to be. Um, which is sort of a, always a big thing. We'll talk about it in a little minute. Um, and if I get Sarah Paulson, she plays the mother. Kira Allen is, is a young girl who's having questions. And Pat Healy plays a mailman. Um, but that's pretty much the cast. It's not getting really much more of a cast than that. Those are sort of the three primary people in the film. You yeah. know, and even, there, even at that, it's the first two. Mother and daughter, I think, on camera for the whole film. It's, it's only, only a wee bit of interaction with anyone else outside of the, outside the home. Um, what do you think of this one? Uh, yeah, I quite enjoyed this movie. Uh, it doesn't have a particularly long run time, if no, I remember like rightly. So it does it uh, It's pretty tight. So, yeah, doesn't hang about too much. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I kind of twigged quite early on that something something was up shall we say well, i think uh, i think, you, I really... I think you watch the film you know something's up you know i think everybody watching mm. the film you know something's not right you know because it's just the premise of the film i think what, what we're all interested in watching is finding out why is something not right does the reasoning behind it make sense and mm. i think we discussed it last night we both kind of thought the reasoning behind how it all came about doesn't make the most sense no no it's a yeah there's a suspension of disbelief yeah. in horror well you've got you got to basically suspend disbelief for a wee bit when you're when you finally get, when you get the review you're kind of going right okay i'll buy it it doesn't make a lot of sense but we'll we'll go with it essentially it is but i thought it was yeah because for the most part you don't seem to see and i don't think there's any sort of like financial gain that the mum's doing for it she, no not at all like no. No, she's just simply just like almost like stopping her kid from growing up. Yeah, you know, Which is, is and, keeping her, and keeping her in a state of always needing her. Yeah, uh, to like mother her. Um, yeah, there there was a few like interesting like moments in it. Like I just, I kind of found it kind of odd, but you know, in kind of hindsight, you when you think about it, how what would probably happen in real life is the disabled person would probably end up with a bedroom downstairs it's quite hardcore to make a person in a wheelchair constantly go up and downstairs just to go to the ba- eh, just right. to go to the bedroom you know so this is where the kind of disbelief comes in but once again that could happen back could, to the mother that could just be the layout of the house and maybe there's, maybe there's no room for a bedroom downstairs yeah yeah yeah, yeah true true but um, yeah outside of that I thought it was very well played uh, the mother in it, whatever her name is. Uh, yep, Sarah Paulson. I thought she played it fantastic for being awesome. a creepy yeah. mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the daughter played it, Keira Allen. I thought yeah. she was fantastic. That scene climbing uh, from her, her bedroom yes. into like the the room next door uh-huh. along like the outside of the house was fantastic yeah. especially when it's been done with a mouthful of water and a giant extension cable <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, fair enough fair yeah. enough you know uh, so what was your take from it I'm, I'm kind of saying with you man I thought it was a well constructed kind of genre thriller it doesn't in mm. any way do anything different or subvert the rules in no. any way it sort of 
it is essentially a kind of misery type movie a little bit. Uh, you've seen the film mm. Misery, um, but it performs what it does well. You know, it, it does it. Mm. You know, it does it, and in, it does it well enough that I'm, I was engaged for it. Yeah, the twist in it is a twist, and it's like, like okay, right, there had to be one. I'll mm. kind of buy it, but I'm not 100% buying it. You know, as, as a plot device, but again, it, it make it does make sense that within the world they have created and they have set up. Um, but enough zigging and zagging. I felt at least that like in enough we can like genuine sort of moment you think something's going to happen here. Or not be here. Or not, only then it's there. You know, so it just keeps you keep you on edge a little bit. Which I thought was um, pretty well done. Um, like you, I thought the performances were really good. Kira Allen, I thought was excellent. You know, and it's. She seems like she's a very good actress, which is really good. And I'm mm. hoping she gets to the point where she's like, you know, becomes an actress where she isn't only cast because of disability, you know, which I think is a problem. Yeah, 100%. Out. You know, one I was talking to Jill about it was um, recently, I said, well, I, hope, I hope she becomes like Peter Dinklage. Like, Peter Dinklage is now mm. cast in roles where his size is not the issue in the role. You know, you don't watch it and you're mm. always like, he's a small person. It's like, he's just, that's he's playing a role. Like, when you watch that film, you mm. recently with him. Um, yeah, the I do care or we do care oh. that one. I care a lot. I, I yeah, I care a lot. Yeah, the fact that he's a small person doesn't make you, that that that's no that's not even mentioned in the entire film. You know, it's yeah, it's a fucking terrifying actor who's like playing the role. So I'd really hope eventually this young girl who's clearly a very good actress will get cast in roles where the her disability is not she's not only cast because of that. That that would be my hope. Mm. For it. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Touchwood. Yeah. Um, 90 minutes long. It's so nice to see a film you've moved at pace. It didn't, didn't labour, didn't try and drag it out. It just, it, it, it got to the point, it was like, I'm like, is this finished? It felt like it was like it moved so quickly. And you're so used to these horror mm. films now being, you know, pushing for like the, the two hour mark. I'm like, holy shit, this is actually, this is buzzing along at a very good pace. Yeah, I was very much in the camp on that one. It was, it was nice to see this kind of genre movie moving at pace. And, mm. Like you said, there's been quite a few in recent times that I've just dragged that out for no reason. And you're like, well, you just get over the suspense bit, right? We've had a wee suspense. Can you just get to what you're trying to show me and do and just get on with it? But no, Aye. this was good. This, you know, got to the point pretty quickly, you know? I set the premise up, explored it, and it, that was it. You know, it was, and it told, it told a very quick story. It'd be like, it's just a very quick, well-done story. Um, I'd give yeah. a very solid, the Friday night movie, you know, if you watch yeah. that, if we watch it Friday night, late night, it's kind of a good film for that. Very solid, seven out of ten. Nice, I'm joining you on that one. Seven out of ten as well. Yes, enjoyable. Um, and final film yeah. of the week is one that's on Amazon Prime. It's a film that you probably get a lot over the next couple of weeks because it's been able to be up for all sorts of Oscars and awards for its mm. cast um, and director. And that's a film called Sound of Metal, directed by Darius Marder and his directorial debut. Technically, he's done, done a film called Look. Um, a few years ago, but that was sort of almost like a student film. He is better known sort of as a, a writer of a film called The Place Beyond the Pines. If I saw that film, I did, and I did not like The Place Beyond the Pines, but a lot of people did like it. Um, the plot of this film is it's about a, a guy who's in a, a heavy metal duo. Um, mm. kind of like almost like a Royal Blood type band, isn't it? Kind of Royal Blood cross the dead. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Drummer and uh, guitarist or bassist, you know. Yeah. Um, White Stripes, White Stripes does metal, basically. Yeah. Um, and partly through a guy, you notice his hearing is going a bit fuzzy. Um, but it goes to the doctor and he finds out that his hearing has now, it's going to basically die off. He's going to lose his hearing. And it's him having to adapt to his life of 
not be able to do his touring, not be able to do his music. A man whose life has been lived essentially at volume is going to have to adapt to a world of silence and it's him having to sort of change how he is a man and change how his life is um, and change relationships mm-hmm. with his wife, with his wife and with his friends and all that kind of stuff. Um, and just this man coming to terms with what is a pretty dramatic, you know, life-changing event. Um, in the film, you've got yeah. Riz Ahmed. He plays the, the drummer. Uh, Olivia Cook plays his wife. Is it his wife or girlfriend? I can't remember. I think it's just his girlfriend. girlfriend. I don't think they're married. Uh, girlfriend in it, Olivia Cook, she plays girlfriend. And Paul Rashi pops up in it. He plays a sort of like a teacher at a deaf school. Uh, Matthew Amile, he plays Olivia Cook's father. Uh, and that's pretty much the cast. It's not It's not got a huge cast. Again, the, the main point of the film is it's, it's very much a character study. So put it out there, I thought it was a brilliant performance from Riz Ahmed. I thought he was genuinely mm. fantastic. You know, I thought he played it so believably. Um, mm. I don't know how true and accurate it is to someone losing a hearing aid, but it felt accurate and real when I was watching it. Nothing nothing came across as fake to me. What I uh, discovered once I was Googling it to find out if it was like based on a true story or not was it seems to be that uh, Riz and also the director, which is not in front of me now, uh, whatever the di- yeah, they seem to have done a lot of the, a lot of homework to make sure that they weren't offending uh, this yeah. community, right? In regards to the way they were doing things and the way, like you said, like the way his hearing uh, loss happens, and then like what they got fall out of that is they were making sure that it didn't ever shine the wrong kind of light on this. Uh, uh-huh. Kind of group of people, you know, and the help that's out there for folk. Mm. So, no, from all things considered, I think they've done extensive research into like this. So, I can imagine it's pretty much close to what you would actually go through if you ultimately lost your hearing, at least in the US, anyway. As I was telling Stacey, that the US has their own sign language and we've got our own sign language. It makes no sense. A lot of it. Yeah. So bizarre. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But I thought the story unfolded. It, 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 the film's touching two hours, so it's it a slightly longer film. Mm. But I thought it, the pace of it unfolds well. It lingers when it needs to, yeah. and when, it needs, when it needs to as well. But you have the moments. Yeah, yeah. Like each day of his journey is clearly documented, and you get to understand where he's coming from. You understand, and every action he takes within the film is justifiable. You know, even if you think it's a bit mm. of a strange action, you can see why he's done that move. You thought it was important. There's yeah, a yeah. moment when he just saw something completely insane, and. More important than that, there's actions that he takes that he regrets, and and it's not helpful to him. But he felt he had mm. to try it, and that again, that's idea like, yeah, because he's he's not it's not a straight line journey for someone who's like sort of losing their hearing and, and he's going to be deaf. It's a it's a, a journey of different paths, and some paths he takes and he hopes it's good, and obviously it might not work out for him. Um, there's not a lot of wasted space. It's a very rich world. The director spends a lot of time making you uncomfortable, which I thought was really important, you know, because it's supposed to feel uncomfortable what's happened to this guy um, and fills it with a cast to, to um, make it believable. You know, they, they, they bring something mm. to it. Like, apart from Olivia Cook and um, uh, Riz Ahmed, if you told me everyone mm. else in this film was sort of and uh, like sort of real people, they just sort of plug the camera. I would totally believe it. The guy who ran the deaf school, I I had no idea who that actor was. He was so he felt so real. Uh, Paul Racky. Yeah, I think that's who. Sorry, uh, sorry if I absolutely butchered your surname. He felt yeah. so real. He didn't feel like an actor at yeah. all. And that was it. Felt he's such a weird looking kind of face to him. It's like a weird kind of stance. You know, he just mm. again great casting. Whoever found that guy. Um, the final sort of third, I mean, maybe the final twenty five minutes 
there's a wee bit more melodrama in there mm. that maybe doesn't feel quite as real, but it's got a fucking, mm. it's got an absolute gut punch of a kicking ending. Like the final minute mm. of the film is fucking, oh. it's genuinely most, a way kind of heartwarming to, to see him, but also fucking brutal. Mm. It's like a definitely a double-edged sword on it. Uh-huh. It's like you can kind of understand why, and it was something that we spoke about yesterday, was I didn't realise that when you get the implants, when if they work, uh, your hearing's not back to normal. It's like this weird kind of robotic static noise uh, that you always hear. And people's horrible. voices sound like robots and stuff like uh-huh. that. And yeah, when you sit there and watch this movie and you hear that sound, you're like, that is horrific. Uh-huh. You know, the thing yeah. was, I think the best part, the one of one of the this film was something that I thought was amazing, and was the sound design was absolutely phenomenal. Like, it, yeah. was, it brought you into the world of him. You know, it, it, a lot of times yeah. you're hearing what he's hearing, you're feeling what he's feeling. I thought it was really cool. They didn't put subtitles on it until later on when he learned sign language, so you don't know what anyone around the table's saying. You know, uh, I I found that bit really engaging. How there wasn't any subtitles for a long period of time in the movie when they were when he was starting to learn sign language. And then it was only like when conversations were properly flown, that's when like uh, subtitles would appear. And I found that I found that a really nice touch because yeah. you you ended up having to try almost work out what that person was signing oh. while sitting there. You were like trying, you were almost learning with them. Yeah. You were like, what what are you what what are you signing and what's his reaction or what's other people's reactions, you know? You see as well that like the, the world that the, the death school is in, it's a vibrant world. You know, the, the, the way they converse, mm. it's, it's not, it doesn't feel stilted or alien. It, it does, it feels, it looks like a table of people sitting around talking. That's all it looks mm. like. In the same way that when we were sitting around yesterday, it was a table of people sitting around talking. That table felt exactly the same, only they're doing it with their hands around their mouth, but it felt still so real. Um, so, yeah, yeah. as well, was, I mean, just the way they used the sound, like, sort of, they brought it in and moved it away. When they brought in the static, and they brought in sort of what he could hear and what he couldn't hear. Yes, I thought it was done. It was absolutely phenomenal. And and I felt recently I've found a lot of sound design has been so lazy. You know, the idea is just like crank up the volume for the loud parts and then leave it at that. And then when it comes to the talking bits, oh no, crank up for the really loud parts, then turn it right down for the sort of the, the drama parts. Then you got like like when you hear it, so you crank up the volume for that, and all of a sudden it just blows your ears out once it um, hits the action parts again. So that I thought was amazing. Like thought it was it showed how important sound is, you know, when the point of a film and, you know, what it can add to a film. You know, something like Whiplash done the same, you know, when the sound becomes so important as to what the film is. Um, so no, I, mm. I, I really dug this film. I, I was I was nervous to watch it because I've heard so many good things about everybody in it. That was like, kind of home, like I hope it lives up to the expectation of it as engaging a watch as it should be. And I, I thought it was excellent. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm hoping Riz Ahmed gets the award for best actor. I think he deserves it. I think he won. He didn't win the BAFTA. I think um, Anthony Hopkins got the BAFTA. Um, but mm. I'm hoping Oscar sees it, um, Riz Ahmed, because I think he deserves an Oscar for it. He thinks and that it's a very, it's a brave and brutal performance he gives. I thought it's it well worth the, the Oscar consideration. But no, I really, I, I dug this film. What do you think of it overall? You know, I know I've talked for a while on this. Um, I know they've picked up a whole bunch of spirited awards yes. for it. Yes. Uh, the now, which in my opinion, very much the same camp as yourself, very much deserved. This film is definitely a good shining light, albeit it did come out uh, come out actually. Was it this year, like? Yeah, oh, it's right. Yeah, it's right. It was the tail end of twenty twenty. Yeah, it was sort of Yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, it's been a, it's had a turbulent life being in the kind of like out there world. So it's never had the, the most eyes on it, but I'm glad a lot of people are starting to get, watch it and, you know, enjoy it. So, yeah. and I'm very much in that camp as well. I enjoyed every minute of it. What's your um, rating for this one? I'm giving this one 8 out of 10. Yeah, 10. I'm giving it a very solid 9. I, I thought it was excellent. The only thing I let it down was a little bit of the melodrama towards the end with stuff with his mm. wife and the father and the sort of... The, like, some, just, I get why they had to have it there and it does... It has a purpose, but it felt, it felt a little bit fake. Um, but like I said, mm. the, the gut punch ending really is... It, it sort of that makes it worth it in, in every way. Um, that's us for this week. Next week, we have some interesting stuff to watch. We have... Um, uh, one that's available for VOD, you even you know, get paid for this one, we have to pay our money for this one. It's called Chaos Walking, um, which is based on a, a young adult novel, futuristic sci-fi type thing. So, it's, okay. How we read, how we read up about the production of it? It's a very troubled production, so could be interesting. That's oh, on the screen, and um, it's called Chaos Walking on Netflix. We have a film called Stowaway. Um, it stars Anna Kendrick. As I, I picked this one purely for Barry because Barry has a big thing for Anna Kendrick. Um, yep. And finally, on Netflix as well, we have a four-part mini-series called This is a Robbery, which is about a very famous art heist uh, that happened in Boston. So I, I kind of half knew about this, um, and this hopefully documentary will um, open up the what this actually was. Um, but yeah, that's what we're going to watch next week. Barry, where people find us? All the usual social media haunts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Three Beers in a Movie. Well, that's great. I've been, this week, I've been Richard, you've been... Ozzy. And you've been listening to... Three Beers in a Movie.